Now, a couple of years ago, we, um, at our at church that I'm at, we asked a few people in the local area of Old Street and Clerkenwell if they could ask God one question, what would it be? And we had all sorts of responses off the back of that. But one of the most popular responses, um, the second most popular after the suffering question, uh, was this, why doesn't God make himself more obvious? Now, I'm not sure if that's a question you've ever asked yourself, no matter where you're uh, coming from today. And digging into it a little bit, people were frustrated that God seemed to be so hidden to them and so elusive, um, invisible. And why is God making it so hard for me to believe in him? Um, obviously, you can see me now, you can hear my words, you can shake my hand afterwards. It's pretty obvious I exist, I'm real. We can't do the same thing with God. You can't see him in the same way that you can see me here. So is he there or not? Now, people speculate about the existence of God for all sorts of reasons, be it uh, the design of the universe, um, and how do you get something from nothing and something so intricate and beautiful as this world is in places. People argue from the fine-tuning of the universe and the infinitesimally small probability that life can even exist. People argue from the concepts of beauty and truth and love and where do these things come from if we're all just here by chance? Why do these things matter so much to us? if there is no God. We can speculate about God, but how can you and I ever be sure about God if actually we can't see him? Now, I say him, why not her? Um, why not it? Um, who's to say? We've all come here this afternoon with our own different views of, of life and what's behind this universe, be it a God or one God, many gods, Allah, Buddha, Mother Nature, the Force, um, nothing at all. And we're all trying to make sense of life. Who are we? Where we've come from? Where are we going? Why are we here? But none of us can see behind this universe, get to where this God or higher power may be. None of us can go back before the Big Bang to see what was there. And so at the end of the day, is it not just all speculation, guesswork, stabbing in the dark? How can we know truly what God is like if we can't see him. Oh, we'd love to know, we'd love to have certainty. That would make life a lot easier. How can we know? Know for sure. If he is elusive, is hidden, seems that way, can't see him. Now, with that in mind, come with me to this passage now, um, and let's look in at verse 18, which is very much the climax of this passage and where these verses are all heading. And in verse 18, we read, John saying, no one has ever seen God. Now, I think we'd all agree with that. But the one and only Son, who's referring here to Jesus Christ, we know that from verse 17, who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father, he has made God known. This then is one of the central claims of Christianity. And we're going to see this theme throughout John's gospel as we look at these eight chapters up through to Easter. That in the person of Jesus Christ, God has made himself fully known. And all speculation and guesswork can end and you and I really can have certainty that God exists and certainty as to what he's like. Now that sounds great. Um, how does that work exactly? Um, let's find out. So, in verses 1 to 4, John takes us all the way back to the beginning of time, um, eternity past, and we read there, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
Now, you think about how our words reveal something of who we are even now as you're meeting me, some of you, for the first time, you're hearing words, you're learning bits about me. This eternal, divine, perfect word perfectly reveals what God himself is like. The word was with God, he's personal, he's distinct from God the Father. The word was God, he is fully divine. This perfect representation of who God is. Through him all things were made. In him was life, verse 4. That life was the light of all humankind. Now, glance down to verse 14 where we see the word mentioned again. And here we're told this divine word, this perfect expression of God became flesh. That is, became a human being. That means being born into this world, what we've just celebrated, or Christians have celebrated at Christmas time. The birth of Jesus Christ, when this God of eternity, hidden, elusive, that we can't see, became the Jesus of history. Such that you could see him, people back then, hear him, touch him and meet him for themselves. That is the claim of Christianity, that Jesus is not merely a wonderful teacher and a wonderful prophet and a wonderful miracle worker, although he was all these things, but fundamentally that Jesus is God in human form. The Word made flesh, God incarnate, fully human, fully divine, not half human, not half divine, not 70-30 or any other, 100% human, 100% divine. I think it was C.S. Lewis, uh, the Oxford scholar, the author of the Narnia stories, who asked the question, how could the character Macbeth know about the existence of William Shakespeare? Or maybe to use some more modern illustrations, how could Harry Potter know about J.K. Rowling? Um, how could James Bond know about Ian Fleming? Um, how could Luke Skywalker or Ray, whatever her surname is, know about George Lucas and J.J. Abrams? And C.S. Lewis said that one of the reasons, the only way that Macbeth ultimately could know for sure that Shakespeare exists was if Shakespeare wrote himself into the story of Macbeth. So Macbeth could see him, meet him. And the claim of Christianity is that is exactly what God has done for us. Written himself into the story. Become a character, real, in world history. A human being, one like us so we can see him. People back then could hear him, touch him, meet him. 2,000 years ago, God walked and talked, lived and breathed on this planet as a flesh and blood human being. Now, do you know this is unique to Christianity? Now, only in the person of Jesus Christ does God claim to reveal himself fully, personally, perfectly like this. In all other world religions, their leader points away from themselves to this God who is distant or some higher being. With Jesus Christ, it is the opposite. Do you want to know if God exists? Jesus says, look at me. Do you want to know what God is like? Look at me. My thoughts are his thoughts. My words are his words. As you listen to me, you are listening to the very words of the living God of the universe. I am the word made flesh. The full perfect expression of who God is. And you know what else that means for us? I mean, if this is true, that God has made himself fully known in the person of Jesus Christ, it means you and I are not here just by accident and chance. We are just not dancing to the tune of our DNA come 
born yesterday, gone tomorrow, with no meaning to our lives. No, we can have absolute confidence that actually we are made in the image of God, designed especially by him. Divinely given inherent meaning, purpose to our lives. It is a wonderful thing. I'm told that this Monday morning coming, um, the third Monday in January, is called Blue Monday. Have you heard this? It's the most depressing day of the year. I'm sorry to depress you with that now, but it's coming on Monday, so I'll warn you about it. Something to do with the cold weather, debt after Christmas, maybe the flu going around and people getting ill. Apparently most divorces happen this month, so watch out. Um, People moving jobs. Anyway, I mean, you know, I don't know how you are feeling today. You could be feeling pretty depressed. And maybe your relationship's faltering. Maybe your job, you don't enjoy it. Maybe you're struggling with illness. And maybe in those quiet moments, where, well, every now and again you get a quiet moment in the business of London, you just think to yourself, you know, what is the point of it all? Why am I here? I hope you can hear very clearly at least the Christian response. Is there meaning to life? Absolutely there is. There is something behind it all. There is God behind it all. And you can be sure of it because in the person of Jesus Christ, God has made himself fully known. Now, there's lots more that needs to be said about this. Remember, this is just the opening section of the gospel. And we're going to need to see if Jesus' life backs up his claim as we go through these chapters. So do come uh, back over these next few uh, Wednesdays. But even at this point, as we kick off, you might say to yourself, well, look, if that's the claim, if the claim is that God has made himself obvious, if he has fully, perfectly revealed himself in Jesus Christ, then why is it that so many people are not convinced by it? I mean, you take the UK census, the most recent one, and Christian affiliation in this country is going down, not up. So why can't we just reject this claim outright? Well, notice, secondly, another theme that John introduces at the start of the gospel here, and that is the natural bias of people against Jesus and against belief in him. We see that in verse 9 and verse 10. Uh, The true light, referring to Jesus, that gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. Jesus came to that which was his own. That's referring to his own people, God's chosen people, the people of Israel. But his own did not receive him. Now, I'm not sure if that surprises you at all. That so many people back then who saw Jesus and saw what he could do, still did not believe in him. Um, People did not reject his miracles. Um, People knew what Jesus could do. They knew he could turn water into wine, feed the 5,000, walk on water, they saw it. They couldn't deny it. And yet people still would not believe in him. And people sometimes say to me, if only I was back then at the time of Jesus and I could have seen him for myself, you know, then I would really believe. But actually John's gospel has a more sobering analysis of human nature than that. We'll see more of it in chapter 3 when we talks about the darkness and loving it more. But in a nutshell now, basically... You and I are not neutral when it comes to the existence of God. And we have a vested interest. And because if God is real, and he is there, and he's in charge of this world, and he's in charge of our lives, then you and I are not in charge of our lives, he is. And we like to be in charge, we like to be in control, and that's a problem for us. If God is real, 
and God is in charge, then ultimately we are accountable for all our thoughts, all our actions, all our desires. Ultimately, we are answerable to him, and that is a threat to our independence. We push back against that. Um, Listen to Thomas Nagel. He's the professor of philosophy and law at New York University, describing why he's an atheist in his book, The Last Word. He says, It isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right in my belief. It's that I hope that there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. See what he's saying? I don't want there to be a God. I don't want there to be a universe where God's in charge and I'm not. We're not neutral. We have a vested interest in this because of the implications for our lives if God would be real. And so people push back against Jesus and continue to do so today. I remember being challenged by this myself when I was at university and um, I was asking this question, why doesn't God make himself more obvious? And some Christians at the time said, well, look, have you looked into the person of Jesus Christ? I said, yes, I have. I'm unconvinced. And well, it wasn't like the whole truth because I'd heard some stories from the Bible at school, but I'd never really studied the Gospels in depth. And um, anyhow, they said, well, right, if, well, if you've read the Bible, you'll know about all the hundreds of prophecies that were made about Jesus several hundred years before he was even born. Very precise prophecies about where he was born and how he would be born and how he would die and his bones not broken and spirit. You know, what do you make of all that? And I was like, yeah, but... And they would say things like, well, you, do you know about the evidence for the resurrection and Jesus being risen, and that's the heart of the Christian message. What do you make of the empty tomb and the fact that the bones of Jesus have never been found? What do you make of the fact that you know, 500 people saw him, eyewitnesses, risen from the dead? What do you make of the fact that all the disciples deserted him completely on the cross, thought it had all gone wrong, and then just three days later, suddenly they're prepared to dis- preach the message of Jesus, even if it meant their own death? What do you make of that? I was like, yeah, but... And they said, well, what do you make about the historical reliability of the Bible? You know, all these Gospels written within the lifetime of the events that were happening. If, if any of it was wrong, they could easily have debunked it. 24,000 manuscripts compared to just the 10 manuscripts we have of Caesar's Gaelic Wars. What do you make of all this? I go, yeah, but... They said, well, just think of the influence Jesus Christ has had in the universe, in human history. Who has had as many books written about him than Jesus? More songs sung about him. The Bible is the the most read book in the world. Christianity is the most populous religion in the world. He literally split time in two. What do you make of that? (laughs) Yeah, but... And after a while, you're presented with all these things that God has apparently done in history and all this evidence and all these claims. You know, I began to think to myself, like, is the problem actually with God or is the problem with me? And we tend to think the problem's with God. Why doesn't he make himself more obvious? so hidden, so elusive, actually is the problem more with us and the fact that we are pretty scared of what the implications might be if he is real. Now, if that is you, if you feel something of that fear, if you feel something of that pushback in your heart um, towards the existence of God, the reality of God, as it was the case for me, the wonderful thing about Jesus Christ, and this is the last thing to see from these verses, the last little theme that John introduces is just how gracious Jesus is with us, how he takes the initiative with us, and it's just a hint here, but how we see the immeasurable lengths Jesus will go for us to draw us back to him. This is verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. 
That phrase, made his dwelling, literally translates from the Greek uh, tabernacled. Um, it's a strange word to use. Jesus became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. Why does John use it? Um, well, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, the tabernacle was where God dwelt amongst his people at the time of Moses. And the first thing you saw as you entered the tabernacle was a brazen altar. Why an altar? A sacrifice. A sacrifice for what? A sacrifice for sin. Why? Because if you want God dwelling amongst you, if you personally want God in your life, then there needs to be a sacrifice for sin. And all those times we have doubted him and have ignored him and have pushed him away. And the wonderful thing about Jesus Christ is you get to the end of his life and you see that he is paying that sacrifice for us. We'll see this next week. John the Baptist introduced Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus Christ dies in your and my place for our sin so that we can be forgiven by God and be restored to God and have the relationship with God, the relationship we were made for both now and into eternity. So if you are someone here who feels threatened by having Jesus in control of your life and giving up control to God, do you see what this Jesus is like? His grace, his compassion, the lengths that he went to for you. He sacrificed himself for you. He gave up everything for you. He loves you perfectly. And you have nothing to fear from someone like this. So if you are someone here who is struggling right now to believe in the existence of God, well, look, the Christian response would be look into Jesus Christ some more and look into this claim some more and come back you know, these Wednesdays in the run-up to Easter. Let's take a look at the life of Jesus from John and see if his life backs up the claims. Um, we run Christianity Explored courses. We run one-to-one -one Bible studies similar to this, looking at the life of Jesus, but... And maybe in a perhaps more informal setting and more discursive and Q&A. If that's something that interests you, please do speak to me and Pete afterwards. But wherever we're coming from this morning, wherever we are on the spiritual spectrum, if you call yourself a Christian here, none of us are immune to doubts about God. Um, at times God can feel distant. At times heaven can feel silent when we're praying. At times it feels like things aren't going our way. What's going on? God, are you there? Or if I still believe you're there, you know, do you not care? And again, the best response is always to come back to Jesus Christ and remind yourself who he is, the word made flesh in Jesus. God is made fully known, fully revealed. And remind yourself of what Jesus Christ has done. He has died for you. If he's your maker, he knows what's best for you. If he's died for you, he wants what's best for you. And he really does care. Let me stop there. I'm very happy to take some questions one-on-one -on -one afterwards or just to chat to you. Um, for now, I'm going to pray and then I'll hand back to uh, Pete. Father, thank you very much indeed for this wonderful start to the Gospel of John, introducing some of these themes that we're going to be seeing uh, this term. And I want to thank and praise you so much this claim that we've seen, that in the person of Jesus Christ, you were born into this world, Jesus fully human, fully divine, and makes you fully known. 
Lord Jesus, thank you so much for what you have done in your life, but also in your death, paying the sacrifice for sin. So we couldn't just know you're there, but we could know you personally. And I pray your spirit would be at work in each of our hearts and minds and lives to see the truth of this about Jesus and to draw us closer to him in repentance and faith. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.